0: Hello and welcome to the final of Pride Reads of this series. I'm Kevin Clare and I'm about to read the second half of Chapter 1 from my first novel, Drama Queens with Love Scenes. From the Actors and Angels series, book one in the series in fact. So, last time, Warwick and Alan sort of got the understanding that they were dead and that they were in the Limelight Quarter. The theatre district of the afterlife, and Guy the Angel and Samantha the blonde bombshell was about to take them to the pedestal, a uh, drinking, a watering hole where thespians hang out. Let's continue. My feet were massaged by the cobbled streets as we followed our hosts, striking sandstone apartment buildings all about three stories high sported luxurious balconies the perfect setting for theatrical types to hide away between plays, soaking up the golden sunshine from the terrace while skimming through their lines. Somewhere in the afterlife, there were architects who knew what they were doing. I felt calmer. Around us, local inhabitants either strolled or rode pushbikes around the streets, enjoying the weather. Warwick placed his hand on my shoulder as he strode next to me. I was so glad I wasn't experiencing this alone. A tall woman in a scarlet dress and black feather boa sauntered past me, closely followed by a couple of older stylish men in corduroy jackets and tortoiseshell glasses. They had a sexy lecturer look that made me want to share in their knowledge. "'How long have you all been here?' Warwick asked. "'Always,' replied Guy. "'A fair while,' said Samantha. "'There are so many fascinating people here, it's not worth leaving.' "'So who are they?' I asked." At any one time, our new arrivals are the most interesting souls, but our ever-changing cast of characters are sure to delight your intellect. Are these characters as intriguing as you? My dear, no one is as intriguing as me. Guy rolled his eyes as his wings flapped a couple of times. I wondered if this angelic gesture was similar in effect to a mortal coughing after hearing a lame comment. The banter continued for several more paces before we arrived at an Art Deco building ruined by electric blue paint and a multicolored neon sign flashing, The Pedestal. It was like someone had consulted Mr. Magoo for decorating tips. I welcomed the idea of drowning my bewilderment in alcohol, even if it was just to rid myself of this horrid image. Samantha did an eccentric half-twirl between us and the doorway. Guy glanced at the sky, seemingly underwhelmed by her flamboyant antics. Warwick huddled close to me as they ushered us inside. We stood at the back of the bar as my friend rubbed my shoulders. I still had a fair way to go before accepting our demise. I was wondering if the drinks here contained alcohol, or was that against the rules in the afterlife? Did we need to be holier than thou? The pedestal was an artist space, nightclub in feel. Candlelight flickered from tables, accenting its distinct cast of creative types. Inspired conversation and polite small talk could be vaguely heard around the room. A fusion of sandalwood from burning wax and other faint perfumes wafted past us, Dynastyle booths graced the walls to the sides as mismatched furniture in leather, denim and assorted fabrics fought for attention. This varied seating arrangement littered about two-thirds of the available space, leaving a drink-stained bar to one side and a cosy dance floor and stage at the front. The performance space also featured a pair of those hideous red velvet curtains pushed to the sides. But the main focus on stage was an eye-catching dark-skinned woman in a pinstripe man suit. She was introduced as Nellie by one of her jazz band. This statuesque figure held her microphone as if it were some sultry extension of her body. Her soulful lips emitted a tone that could melt chocolate. As she sang, a young lady in burlesque attire stood captivated in front of the stage, mouthing her lyrics. Nothing could mistake her glance. She was a lesbian waiting to happen. We perched ourselves at the bar, where, next to us, a woman in her late thirties gazed longingly at the barman as he poured a glass of red wine. "'Please, keep the change. "'Just give me the look of love,' she uttered as the barman grinned flirtatiously. It seemed a strange comment as I didn't see an exchange of currency. "'This place. "'Shabby or charming?' I asked Warwick. Charming, in a shabby sort of way. Within this short space of time, there'd been a lot to take in. Two strangers posing as new friends, leading us from ostentatious opulence to mix-and-match glam. If my friend was as guarded as I was, he definitely was not making it known. I spotted several framed portrait shots hung between faded theatrical posters at the back of the club. Cheesy smiles and forlorn looks graced those faces. Some posters looked like cut-and-paste montages for school plays, while others embraced graphic concepts so out there you'd swear Salvador Dali had set up a studio nearby. Elsewhere, this charismatic, ad-hoc decor laced with local creative types would have put me at ease. Warwick, look over there, I pointed to the booths. That petite old Korean woman... ''She's arguing with her son,'' my friend squinted to focus. ''I think that's her boy toy,'' said Samantha. ''She's with a different one every time I see her.'' ''She has good taste in vices,'' I replied. ''Who is she?'' ''Some extraordinary old star waiting to be rediscovered.'' Obscurity agrees with her. ''I found solace in examining the characters around us. ''Not all of them look like your average theatre crowd.'' There was a sprinkling of actor types wearing flashy clothes and a middle-aged plump woman taking notes for what I assumed to be her next role. Among the non-Thesbian crowd were two tree-huggers solving the world's problems while sharing herbal cigarettes. Another hippie, who already had his share of smoke, danced like an epileptic octopus on Valium, interpreting a beat only known to himself. I was studying ghostly souls, a thought that started to unnerve me again, so I followed Warwick's lead to discover more about our hosts. ''Do you ever not like who comes through the door?'' I asked. ''There was an old fortune teller with a pet snake,'' moaned Samantha. She freaked out as soon as she saw Guy. ''She screamed at me,'' added Guy, shuddering. ''Nothing she had foreseen prepared her for this place.'' She just couldn't cope with life. That's what happens when you live alone for too long. But she had her pet snake, said Samantha, raising a brow. Where is she now, Warwick asked. She finally found inner peace when an old friend arrived. Speaking of inner peace, I said, where will we be staying? That's all in hand, replied Samantha. For now, just enjoy yourselves. We'll show you to your rooms later. A metallic body clanked across the dance floor. Warwick, Roman gladiator at three o'clock. Overdone? Warwick studied the armoured visitor, then made his assessment. Maybe he's historically correct. His assumption unsettled me. Had this soldier been wandering around aimlessly for centuries? Warwick, I whispered. What's going on there? Like I'm supposed to know, he replied. The ancient warrior's armoury squeaked as he took his seat. It's like we're in a time travel movie, but the only difference is the angel. A real live angel. I'd expect Bibles at the bar, I said. A small flame glowed from the corner. The toy boy was lighting a cigarette for the Korean cougar. What about her, for instance? The priest would wash his own mouth out with soap after her confessional. Maybe God's not as judgmental as we think, Warwick replied or Buddha, or Ganesha, or whoever. Maybe there's a VIP room where they all sit around chilling out. Yeah, they spend their days singing religious chants with Krishna on honky-tonk piano. Warwick smiled. He was usually the expert in not getting his feathers ruffled while I often grappled with the world, but in this instance, we both needed reassurance. Only three days ago he was prescribing this holiday while I was dealing with my own personal dramas – Warwick was making me a perfect cup of peppermint tea. He stood, devoted to his task, while I was mesmerised by his supple latte-coloured skin. He looked as inviting as the homemade lime cheesecake that sat under glass on our kitchen bench, which would be tastier. Maybe I could have the two of them at the same time. A bite here, a nibble there. When he mentioned a visit to my uncle, I dispensed with my fantasies, then looked up as he handed me my tea but that was three days ago when the world made sense. Now we were guest-starring in a surreal reality show. If Samantha had broken into song or Guy morphed into a reptile, it wouldn't have dumbfounded me at this point. Are we staying here forever? Warwick asked our hosts. Not necessarily. Stay for as long as you like, answered Samantha. Her words only puzzled me more. Life was easier when there was just lime cheesecake to consider. So at some stage... ''We are going to return home,'' I asked. ''Just think of it as a holiday, pet. Stay as long as you need to.'' Nellie's crooning began washing over me like a comforting embrace. Or well, maybe it was just the vodka and cranberry juice. The liquid additive was definitely diminishing my fears. Around me contented being swayed to the singer's hum. She was the hypnotist, and they were captured by her trance.'' As much as I try, I just can't get jazz, said Guy in a hushed tone. You don't realise what you're missing, I replied. A rousing applause followed. The saxophone's gentle notes invited us to free our concerns. The soothing voice of the large bass seduced us as the cheeky piano held us captive with its prearranged melody. Soon the cheerful flute made us ready to play. I was drunk and jazz was now my mistress. When I focused back on Warwick and our hosts, I noticed that Guy had gone to chat with a handsome man slouched on a formal coffee-coloured sofa. Warwick began moving his hips on the bar stool, popping around like a dazed Eurovision diva. Alcohol had definitely taken hold. Whenever he got like this, I had an evil desire to stick fake eyelashes on him, just to watch them flutter. Shortly after, Guy returned with his friend. In this informal atmosphere, only Guy looked out of place. Maybe angels were not supposed to surrender to sensual pleasures like music. Before introductions were made, I asked about his deficient jazz gene. Why don't you like Nellie and her band? I like songs, he replied. Melodic songs. The band is okay, but they're not my taste. This angel needed an injection of cool, unlike his handsome companion. I was a sucker for polo neck jumpers, which his friend harmonised with a leather jacket and corduroy jeans, all in basic black. Colour-wise, it was a lazy mix-and-match job, but who was I to argue as I was drawn into his hazel eyes and lips that were moist, rosy and imminently kissable. Warwick, Alan, meet Pedro, said Guy. You're going to share the stage with him. I examined this man. "'hoping to share more than just the stage. "'He's even written the piece you're going to perform,' said Samantha. "'Obviously a man of many talents,' I listed his possible abilities in my head. "'It's just something I've been working on,' "'Pedro said in a faded American accent. "'And how long have you been working on it?' I asked. "'Since the 1920s.' "'Really? "'Had I just caught on to the one advantage of our fate?' This man was 30-something, surely, while the Roman gladiators still looked buff. Everyone who ends up here must stop ageing. I glanced at Warwick, grinning like a faded movie star who'd found a discount plastic surgeon. "'Yes, the roaring 20s,' explained Samantha. "'That's when this delightful young man stumbled here from New York.' "'Good thing, too. I was penniless. I lived with rats in mouldy public housing.' I even gave gangster names to my two rats who slept by my bedside. Mr. Money and Mr. Death. Come on, Pedro, it wasn't that bad. The writer was embellishing. Okay, it's true about the rats, but I had a lot of friends and lots of friends with cocaine to help me keep my sanity. My string of affairs helped me survive without a blanket. In between real life, I wrote mostly one-act plays about cheerful things like... Alcoholic street workers and murderous cops. One of my plays was even performed at a chic uptown party. What was it about, I asked. The night Santa was kidnapped. For his toys? Yes. Knife-wielding youngsters set a bear trap down the chimney. A sinister grin spread over his face. And Rudolph was served with mashed potato and corn. A lovely venison meal that glowed in the dark. No candlelight needed. You must have found fame after that. I admired his originality. No, not really. It was a Christmas gathering. Mrs. Simpson made sure I was never recommended to any of her circle, as she swore I made her die of embarrassment. But you're about to take the lead in your newly penned work, announced Samantha. What's it about, I ask? It's based on the rats I shared my flat with. Nellie introduced her next number. A raucous improvisation made it difficult to converse, so I closed my eyes. My mind and my tapping foot were taking pleasure in my own solitary nirvana. The saxophone randomly voiced its frustrations. In a jumble of emotion, I felt it scream out for liberty before it wallowed back into its comfort zone. Next, the clarinet took flight, with sharp notes it took for granted what the saxophone was yearning for. I opened my eyes. Pedro had returned to his comfy sofa. His eyes were closed as his head and shoulders swayed in rhythm and his hand slapped his knee in time. Warwick and Samantha had joined him on the couch, and after sharing a few words, they too copied his seated stance. I also began to sway and turned to Guy to share in this infectious beat. He looked back at me as if I needed a toilet. I effortlessly moved my arms as if I was dancing with an invisible partner. He just shook his head like I was an idiot. This angel was no jazz fan, so I decided to converse instead. It must be marvellous to be able to fly. Guy paused for a second, then answered, I wouldn't know. He bit his bottom lip again, before the sides of his mouth pushed nervously into his cheeks. Am I asking you about something you don't want to talk about? I wasn't brought up by my parents, so I never learnt. I'm an orphan. I wanted to ask more, but chose to wait until he volunteered the information. I had a wicked urge to ask if he had hatched or was delivered the normal way. Nellie was now in torch soul mode, and the admirer who had been mouthing her words earlier patiently waited with the hippies. From where we were perched, we could take in the aroma of their joint. Recollections of Amsterdam were interrupted by the angel's decision to open up. I was brought up by my auntie Jemima. She wasn't really my auntie as she didn't have wings, but it wasn't until I was a teenager that I put two and two together and realised we weren't related. So who were your parents? I don't know. I had a fancy about my father being some brave dragon slayer while my mum would be some mystical woman... In love with life. I dreamt that she would return and show me the joy of everyday things. Aunty Jim was fascinated with other people and I never realised at the time how special that was. I appreciate it now. So wasn't there anyone else who could teach you to fly? Guy took a mouthful from his wine glass before easing into his tale. I had a friend named Joshua who tried to teach me to fly but I was too scared to learn. Everyone admired his spectacular black wings. He was always dyeing his hair, sometimes a white blonde, sometimes golden, and to me this was daring. One day, we walked toward a cliff, side by side, with arms outstretched, hands on each other's shoulders. This was his way of forcing me to fly. We stepped over and I flapped frantically. A couple of times I was able to keep his pace and fly beside him, but I kept losing altitude and dangled below as he tried to hold on to me. After a while he gave up, landing us both on the ground. We spent a bit more time together that day, but after that we just drifted apart. I never understood why, and I never asked. There was an awkward silence as I wondered if Joshua was a lover. Guy bared his soul and seemed to be avoiding any more conversation on the subject, and as much as I wanted to, I knew I shouldn't ask. I didn't need to. Another sip for strength, and the winged one continued. I knew almost everyone where we lived, but I really didn't connect. I just watched my life go by, not living it. I craved for things like a friend or a lover, but when they didn't appear in exactly the way I expected them, I didn't develop the relationship. Guy stopped at this point. Nellie was taking a break while her band played up-tempo lounge music. Warwick, Samantha and Pedro were in animated conversation. Pedro sat self-assured as Samantha slouched in alcoholic bliss. Warwick was all arm gestures, almost communicating with the deaf. You like your friend, don't you? asked Guy. He knows what to say to keep me serene. Like you, I've always tried to control things. I'm learning to let go and fall without a parachute. That's not what I meant, Alan. Of course you like your friend, otherwise he wouldn't be your friend. But you'd like to be more than just friends. That much is obvious. I didn't answer. I had been exposed. Aware of how I felt, the angel placed his hand on mine and waited for me to continue. Warwick and I met at work in our under-stimulating public service jobs about a year ago. We clicked immediately and enjoyed long lunch hours to alleviate the boredom. We socialised, met each other's friends and shortly after we moved in together. Our flat became Grand Central Station as people would drop in with drinks and other social additives. We enjoyed what life had to offer. Then came the week from hell... Warwick had the flu and I was simply burnt out. I crashed in bed and didn't raise my head unless my stomach rumbled. That was six months ago, so we decided there was only one solution. A sea change. We moved our public service jobs to Port Macquarie and tried to slow down. It was like the Golden Girls, but with half the polyester and our feet nowhere near the grave. The chemical additive stopped, but champagne became the substitute. Our city posse was replaced by our regional mob, and those fabulous parties started up again. Maybe it was the salt air that cleared my thinking in between hangovers, but over that time, I found myself viewing Warwick in a different light. The thoughts were subtle at first, a simple caress from his waist to his shoulders, an impulsive beard rub that would end up at the back of his neck. But over time, full scope scenarios barged in during routine tasks. One night, while cooking Peruvian curried chicken, I envisaged Warwick entering the kitchen wearing nothing more than a white apron. He'd saunter over to check if I had enough spice. Once, while polishing the furniture, I imagined him placing one hand on mine, assisting me in rubbing in the oil. These circular motions would reduce as we found more appealing places to rub. I won't even tell you what vacuuming the apartment conjured up. By Guy's wry smile, I knew he understood exactly what I was talking about. I'd learnt nothing about Joshua, but Guy was discovering all there was to know about my unrequited passions. Then there were those moments... Times when I thought fantasy would become reality. Three months ago, we were celebrating the news of our friend's engagement at our favourite little drinking establishment. Warwick and I had plastered ourselves with a blend of orange liqueur, soda and lime. Curtis and Carmel were equally soaked as we kept raising glasses to an endless supply of causes. We toasted Port Macquarie, a milder lifestyle, and possibly every individual grain of sand on the beach. As the lovebirds gradually overlooked our presence, they began to demonstrate the foreplay that led to the proposal. We were convinced theirs was a shotgun wedding, and this was a reenactment of how they got into this predicament. So we left our soft porn friends at the pub and staggered home, where, although the details are sketchy thanks to alcohol-induced amnesia, we both rested in my bed. We cuddled the way friends do when inhibition is laid to rest. He positioned his head on my chest. With sleep being the last thing on my mind, I kissed his scalp and caressed his neck. The scent of faded cologne reminded me of how much I had come to appreciate his distinctive tastes. The smart jacket draped on my bedpost would never be out of vogue. The burgundy shirt, which was half unbuttoned, spoke elegance and style. I guided my hand under the shirt and caressed his defined torso. His silky chest hairs helped my fingers slide over his upper body. He wriggled briefly in that endearing way people do to gesture that they like what you're doing. Guy quickly ordered another glass of wine while I shared the sordid details. I wish I could tell you that the yoga classes we'd been taking came in handy. The term downward dog may have had a new meaning. Frankly, I don't remember. I woke several hours later, head feeling like a battered boxer down for the count, but with Warwick still in position. I didn't move. I concluded that we didn't do it and prayed I wouldn't throw up. For a moment I felt I said too much. Go was staring past me in the direction of our other companions. I swivelled on my bar stool and watched Samantha wander back to us. Beyond her, though, another story was unfolding. With intense fervour, my friend and the brooding writer were sharing saliva. I scrutinised their kiss, and was more taken aback by Warwick's uncharacteristic display of public affection than the desire to take Pedro's place. In one word, Guy summed up my emotion. With his hand still on mine, he squeezed, then simply said, ouch. And that's where we'll leave the adventures of Warwick and Alan at the end of chapter one of Drama Queens with Love Scenes by me, Kevin Clare. I hope you've enjoyed this season of um, Pride Reads. Hope to do it again sometime, but we'll see. And, um, yeah, keep picking up a queer book and supporting queer writing.